Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, talking with you about the letter of St. Paul to uh, the members of the church in the ancient city of Rome, uh, which he probably wrote sometime in the spring of the year 57, having never been there himself, uh, but in which he was kind of greasing the skids for a planned visit in the future. And I mentioned uh, that in what we know as the first 11 chapters of his letter to the Romans, he uh, not exclusively but overwhelmingly outlines uh, the basic teachings of the Christian faith. And then in chapter 12, kind of shifts gears and begins to uh, apply based on those teachings, uh, his instruction for how we really live our lives, which uh, two weeks ago had to do uh, with the way that we make decisions and how we discern God's will uh, for our lives. Uh, today, the issue from two chapters later is of no less importance, and it has to do with how we get along with each other, and in particular, uh, with those uh, with whom we may not always agree. And uh, as we live in these extraordinary times, and you think about uh, things like the relationship and intersection between religion and politics and upheaval and uh, denominations and all the rest. If there ever was a time to tackle this one, I think this would be now. Uh, because in Psalm 133, King David famously said uh, how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Uh, because who wants to be part of a church that's at war uh, with itself? And yet, if you think uh, that the New Testament church, because of its proximity to the ministry of Jesus, was this model of unity. Hate to burst your bubble, but that was not the case. And uh, frankly, I'm happy that I was not uh, the pastor of the first church of Corinth, for example, or Galatia, or Ephesus, all of which had their disagreements, their conflicts, their divisions. Uh, sometimes over theology, sometimes over practice, sometimes over morality, and a number of other things. Uh, even uh, the church at Philippi, which was probably Paul's favorite, included people who weren't getting along with each other. And so every once in a while, one of you will say to me, you know, Pastor, we need to get back to being a New Testament church. And I usually think to myself, well, go ahead, but count me out. You know, I mean, which one do you want to go back to? at the end of the day. And, and then in addition to that, uh, I have talked many times over the years how in the infant Christian church, uh, Jewish Christians who came to Jesus up through their Judaism uh, often looked down upon Gentile Christians who came to Jesus straight away apart from Judaism as if they were second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Except, of course, when the tables were turned and the Gentiles had the majority in the church, and they looked down on the Jewish Christians for hanging on too tightly to uh, the past. And so there were conflicts in the life of the early church. And as you look through its history, the more things change, well, the more they stay the same. In fact, uh, the church I grew up in, I was baptized, confirmed, and ordained in, was founded a little bit more than a, a hundred years ago as the result of a split where some people left the mother uh, church, which was located only a few blocks down the same street at the time. And when I was a kid, I asked my dad, you know, well, what was that about? You know, thinking it was some big spiritual article of faith. And he said to me, well, you know, back in those days, 
Cars were just coming out. And some people in the congregation thought they should get a car for the pastor because that was the new thing and it would help him carry out his ministry. Other people were opposed to getting a car for the pastor because it was a luxury and frivolous. That's why our church was born. <laughs> Over the purchase of a car. Well, at that point, you know, I already knew I wanted to be a pastor, and so I said to my dad, hey, just out of curiosity, you know, are we the car church? <laughs> are we the anti-car church? You know, maybe I have to change my membership. Anyway, in today's passage, uh, there are actually two issues uh, that are on the table, one of which has to do with what Christians eat, literally which is to say whether Christians needed to continue to abide by the dietary laws and restrictions of the Old Testament, uh, with some saying, no, that is no longer necessary because Jesus frees us, he fulfills the law for us so that we don't have to do that, not to mention the fact that the Gentiles never did practice uh, those laws or obey those uh, restrictions, but with others saying, no, you still have to obey the law even if you believe in Jesus, because it's an act of obedience to the Word of God. Another issue in places like Rome, like Corinth and other uh, places, is that uh, people would make uh, pagan sacrifices to idols and false gods, and the meat from those sacrifices was then sold in the marketplace and consumed, including by members of the church at that time, which to some people was totally anathema. It was completely wrong. It was a sacrilege. To other people, it was completely permissible under our Christian liberty. And uh, to which St. Paul said, well, it kind of depends. You know, it's not necessarily wrong, but might not actually be right either if it messes up your witness. Uh, the other issue uh, that is on the table is the observance of uh, certain days as in holidays, which of course included, uh, above all, the Sabbath day. The day when you put everything aside and you worship God and you rest in God, which in the Bible was the seventh day. It was Saturday in commemoration of the day that God rested after creation. Uh, but at one point, most Christians, though not all of us, moved the Sabbath day from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week to Sunday in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus under our Christian liberty. In addition to that, there were all kinds of pagan holidays and celebrations, and the question for the Christians was, well, do we get into that? Do we engage that and use those opportunities to proclaim the message of Jesus, or do we separate from it? Do we reject it? Do we withdraw from it as a witness to our faith in Jesus? And so, at the end of the day, you know, these issues may not seem very important to you, especially in a church that worships on, you know, Sunday, Monday, and Friday. Uh, but I can assure you that they were as important as any issue that you and I might face in our faith, in our church, in our life today, because they had to do with our witness. And so, therefore, it mattered. Now, two weeks ago, I happened to mention a sermon uh, that was uh, preached by the very famous uh, Baptist British 
uh, preacher and pastor Charles Spurgeon, who lived in the mid-19th uh, century, and even to this day is considered a goat, you know, one of the greatest of all time. What I didn't tell you uh, two weeks ago is that Charles Spurgeon was an avid cigar smoker and that he could often be found sitting in his uh, study uh, preparing a sermon, puffing away, chewing on a stogie. And uh, there was another uh, pastor across town in London on the other side of the town and his name was Joseph Parker and Joseph Parker criticized, in fact, he condemned Charles Spurgeon as a fraud for being a cigar smoker. But Joseph Parker, who was not a cigar smoker, went to the theater. And at that time, going to the theater was considered uh, to be somewhat provocative, if not downright scandalous, at least among some Christians. And so while Joseph Parker condemned Charles Spurgeon for smoking cigars, Charles Spurgeon uh, condemned uh, uh, Joseph Parker for going to the theater. Until one day, when Charles Spurgeon was walking down a street in London and he came to a cigar store. And in it was a sign, we sell the tobacco used by Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) Famous preacher. That was the day that he quit smoking cigars. Uh, Not because doing so was gonna send him, you know, to hell. It was in fact for him within his Christian liberty, although he might've been going to heaven a little earlier because of it. But for him, it was part of his witness because he didn't wanna be known for anything above proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so with that, uh, St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, uh, provides some guidance for them as they live in that first century metropolitan pluralistic culture, and with it some guiding principles for you and me as we strive uh, to get along with those with whom we may not completely agree in spite of our differences and for the sake of our witness to the world. And the first thing I would say to you is that here Paul is not talking about, you know, the indisputable fundamental primary articles of the faith. He's not talking about uh, the article of justification by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. That's the article by which my whole salvation stands or falls. It's not my behavior, not my obedience, not what sin I commit. or or don't uh, commit, and then after which everything else, as important as those things may be, comes, including those matters that may actually be in dispute. And so in the church, we have uh, a word that we use uh, for things that are perhaps in dispute, uh, things that are neither commanded nor forbidden by God. And that is the word adiaphora, which in Greek means not different, so that in our faith, holy baptism is not adiaphora. But the way in which we administer baptism is, along with other Christians all around the world, holy communion, not adiaphora. It's commanded by Jesus who said, do this. But the way in which we administer and celebrate Holy Communion is, along with uh, things like the way that uh, Christians worship differently all around the world and even within uh, denominations. 
And even though uh, the letter of Jude, for example, tells us that we should earnestly contend for the faith, we, sh we should stand up for it, we should fight for it. And St. Paul by no means is advocating kind of a laissez-faire live and let live kind of theology. Nevertheless, in this particular passage, St. Paul will not tell the Romans who's right and who's wrong, which probably drove some of them crazy. What he says to them is welcome each other. Uh, welcome each other, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Now, some translations use the word welcome, others use accept, others use receive. And one thing that strikes me as I look at that verse is that Paul admits that there are such things as opinions uh, around which believers can differ and still get along as long as they welcome, receive, and accept one another. The other thing that you may have noticed in verse 1 is that he specifically says, welcome those who are weak in faith. But curiously, he doesn't tell us who those people are. I always figured it wasn't me. But who are the weak in faith? Well, you know, you might conclude that maybe, you know, it was the Gentile Christians because they were sort of the newbies, you know, who didn't grow up looking for a Messiah. But maybe it was the Jewish Christians uh, who were holding on to the past and not really fully enjoying the freedom that Jesus won for them on the cross. Maybe they needed to read, you know, a bumper sticker that I saw, you know, many years ago, uh, which said, if you know that Jesus loves you, you don't have to sweat the small stuff, at least relatively speaking. And so if the question is, can I accept, can I receive, can I can welcome somebody in spite of the fact that we may not agree on every single aspect of the faith, the answer to that question is yes. Why? It's in verse 3, where Paul says that God has already welcomed them. And so who are you uh, to stand in judgment of somebody else? Who are you to despise your brothers or your sisters? And so about the issues on the table, uh, what Paul says to them is uh, if you eat Eat in honor of the Lord. You don't have to be a vegetarian to be a Christian. Uh, if you abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord. Because honoring the Lord is the main thing. And then he gets to those verses uh, that we often uh, pull out of their context and we read them at funerals, actually. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. And so whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Even though the people of Rome, the Christians in Corinth and in other places may agree to disagree about how they live out their faith in honor of the Lord. And so we have another word that we use in the church. And it happens to be the word synod. Some of you may have heard it. 
And the synod comes from two Greek words, syn, as in synergy, which means together, and hodas, uh, which means walking. And so synhodas, synod, means walking together. Not marching together in lockstep like an army in uniform, because there's a difference between unity and uniformity, but walking together. People who love and support one another. We're moving together in the same direction, if not in lockstep, because unity is something that the Spirit gives to us inwardly, where uniformity comes from pressure on the outside of us. And so uh, when you find yourself uh, struggling to get along, with somebody with whom you may not completely agree about certain matters that are in dispute, and you may not even agree with them about which matters are or are not in dispute. Nevertheless, there are some questions I would invite you to throw out. And the first question is, is this really a deal breaker for me? Because while some things will never, ever, ever honor the Lord, There are other things that may, in fact, be very important to us and yet remain in dispute, neither commanded nor uh, forbidden within our Christian liberty. And with that question, I would invite you to look at the things, the list of things in your life that really are the deal breakers. And I would encourage you to make that list as long as necessary and as short as possible because I think that list, you know, can get a little too long, at least in some situations. The next question is the one I already asked, uh, which is, uh, can I welcome, can I accept, can I uh, receive uh, someone uh, into my life as a sister or a brother, even when we don't agree on every single thing? And the answer to that question is yes, at least according to St. Paul, which is a big relief to me because I've got people in my life who I really love who don't share my faith at all. Or then there's the question, is the one who is weaker in faith always going to be the other person? Or are there times when the one who is weaker in the faith might end up being me? Because for one reason or another, I'm the one who forgot to keep the main thing the main thing and live that way in my life and my relationships. Am I really honoring God with the way I live or am I copying, you know, self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude because I want everybody else to march in lockstep with my thinking? And is there something that I need to change about my life, about my behavior, Not because it's going to send me to hell, but because it has something to do with my witness for the sake of this world and its hope in Jesus. Because I really want to honor the one who gave everything for me, to welcome me, to receive me, to accept me by his cross in spite of all the sins I've committed in spite of all the things I got so horribly wrong. 
so that by his grace I can turn around and welcome and receive and accept sisters and brothers who may not always get it right into the family of God. And so a long time ago in a land uh, not so far away, I uh, once got elected uh, president of the local clergy association. And the previous president, my predecessor, uh, happened to be a minister in the Seventh-day Adventist church. He worshiped on Saturday. I worshiped on Sunday. He was a strict vegetarian. I was a meat eater. Uh, he was a very straight-laced, buttoned-up kind of guy. I was, well, let's not talk about what I was. Anyway, uh, at the gathering in which uh, the baton was passed from him to me, we were uh, standing in this uh, church sanctuary full of people, and David came up to me and he put his arms around me and he said, Mark, I'll tell you what, after tonight I'm going to invite you to my house, we're going to sit down on my deck, and in your honor, I'm going to make you a big, fat, juicy steak. I looked at him and I said, David, I will come to your house. I will sit on your deck. And in your honor, I will refuse to eat it. <laughs> True story. And with that, the baton was passed among two people who frankly had a lot of differences. And yet we were able to celebrate our unity in Jesus. And so God, help all of us to be uh, generous and loving in our relationships, to be caring and careful in our behavior for the sake of our witness to Christ as we welcome and receive and accept one another in times of strength and weakness as we get along, as we walk together, giving thanks that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all our sins and that in him, all of us, all of us will one day get along with God forever. I give thanks for this community of faith and wish you a great week in the Lord. Amen.